Hello and welcome to this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Parkson and we're here talking all things sports in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we've got Paul Whiteside from The Devil of Detail. Looking forward to talking all things sport in Salford and beyond, Paul. Yeah, really looking forward to it, Rob. Can't wait. It should be an action-packed show and uh, yeah, plenty going on, plenty going on. Lots to go out. We also got James Sweeten and James. Looking forward to talking all about the uh, sporting events of the weekend. Yeah, most certainly am, Rob. I've had a couple of weeks off, but now I'm ready. I'm back with a vengeance. Good, good. So we'll start with the Rugby League and Salford Devils and Swinton Lions. Salford Devils were victorious in the derby this weekend. They beat Swinton Lions 26 points to 22. Paul, talk us through it. A game of two halves, Rob. Uh, you know, for want of... Uh... An old uh, sort of conundrum it was. You know, Salford played a very, very strong side in the, in the first half, pretty close to a, a first-choice lineup. Really. I think Callum Watkins was out, obviously injured. Joe Burgess didn't play. Um, Adam Sidlow wasn't there. And, and that was about it, really. Ryan Lannan wasn't there. But the rest of the, the side was more or less uh, nailed on, really, for, for a starting lineup What for the, the league game, I thought. So, yeah, they looked really sharp in the first half. Went 26-0 up, scored some good tries, some good backing up, some good creative play. And I thought Swinton struggled with the pace of it, really. Then in the second half, it was a whole whole new side, really. I mean, Chris Atkins stayed on and Matty Costello and Amir Burra as well. And the rest of it was a, a reserve side, really, from Salford. And, and gave a good account of themselves. Swinton, though, give them credit, they came back and uh, scored uh, 22 points in the second half. Won the second half 22-0 to give it a 26-22 scoreline. So 26-0 to Salford in the first half, 22-0 to Swinton in the second half. A good crowd in the 2000 as well, Rob, on a pretty cold day. I thought that was a real good effort from uh, both sets of supporters. And uh, yeah, it was a thoroughly enjoyable afternoon. You know, Swinton get underway next Sunday in the in the championship. So uh, so their their league starts next week. They played three friendly games now. So they had to be to be ready for this. And um, yeah, it was a tough tough afternoon for them. But uh, but yeah, no an enjoyable game. I mean, sometimes these friendly games can be blowout scores, can't they? So I know the first half was, but the second half was really competitive and made it a really exciting contest. Do you think both sides got what they wanted out of the contest? Yeah, I think so. I don't think there was any major injury worries, was there? Um, and if you're Alan Coleman, Swinton's coach, you know, you, you, they've played three friendly games now, haven't they, against Coven, uh, the Coventry Hurricanes, Midlands Hurricanes, uh, St. Helens last week, uh, sort of a reserve St. Helens side, but there was a bit of experience in there as well. And then and then Salford today, so um, it, it's a good grounding for them now. They've got a massive season in the Championship coming up. They play Newcastle at the weekend coming now in, in their first game. So I'm sure they'll be ready for that now. So, yeah, no side, side really picked any injuries up apart from that. Um, bang to uh, to Jack Armand, right? So that was good, and it got Salford. You know, as for Salford, it got us a a, a good uh, a good eighty minutes, well, a good forty minutes for the for the first team lads, and it was nice to see, you know, those uh, those reserve players getting a you know a good shout out as well, and a good uh, a good forty minutes there, a good experience for them, and you know Stuart Wilkinson and Danny Barton who who got the watchful eye over those guys, so it was good to see them uh, them playing. So so yeah, and, and the lads who come in and made the debut as well, Oliver, Oliver Partington, I thought would look pretty good, but it's hard to judge in that first game. We've got Wigan next week, and I'm sure that'll be a sterner test for us. Yeah, uh, here's some interviews. We've got an interview with Ellis Longstaff, Ian Blees and uh, Gavin Benyon uh, from Swint Lions and uh, this is what they have to say. I'm joined by uh, Gavin Benyon. Uh, defeat today, but your boys worked hard. Yeah, no, we thought we had a really good dig you know, against a really strong um, Super League outfit. You know, at first half, they were full strength Salford. Um, there we go. Um, first 20 minutes was, I think they give it us. Um, then we kind of held our own and tried to find ways through and stuff, but... Um, Ultimately, I think they were too strong for us, but um, scoreline, 
wasn't too bad at half time so I think we've uh, we've held our own a little bit there. How's your pre-season gone so far? Yeah it's been really good yeah it's been uh, it's been tough um, working on lots of things combinations and things um, so yeah it's been going really well and we just, obviously season starts next week so we can't wait to just get going with that now I think. Yeah, obviously promoted to the championship what's your aims for this season? Yeah, I think a um, couple couple really targets you know main main priority is to stay in the comp uh, more than capable of doing that I think we'll surprise a few people along the way as well got a strong squad um, but I think yeah, we can stay in that comp for definite and then hopefully finish above a couple of teams there as well what's your t- personal targets for the season um, injury free I know that sometimes you can't always help that mm. but yeah injury free look after my body and play every game yeah big thanks for joining us cool no worries, and good luck cheers mate cheers mate so I'm joined by uh, Ian Blees uh, looking forward to 2023 Ian yeah uh, slightly different feelings this year I'm just saying more excitement probably than nervousness uh, and that's probably some of the stuff that we we did last year as a team so yeah I'm really excited but I do think also it'll be a uh, probably the toughest Super League probably about the comp might have seen this year because I think when you look at the squads and the, the work that the owners have done in the past you know, few months some of them made some really good signings and I don't think there's that many weak teams in there and there'll be teams who didn't go so well last year I'm not picking on them but I'll name them Warrington Hull you know, teams like that KR even to some extent We'll be hoping that they have more successful years this year. So yeah. it'll be a tough one. We had a you know super successful season last season. Is is the sort of the challenge to, to to go again? So obviously you know at Salford we have expectations. Is that expectation level rose a little bit? I think that's amongst the group. They'll tell you that they you know they expect themselves to perform well, which he did. I wouldn't say we had super success last year because we're not won anything, have we? And I keep saying that to the agents when they're trying to crank up the volume uh, <laughs> we're not won anything guys come on but but, but we are we played, uh, I said it before we played a, tr- a tremendous brand of rugby last year I think uh, unique uh, amongst Super League for the last few years I think Rose and, and the coaching staff have got them playing really really well it was great to see one and it was just hopefully you're right keeping that or setting that standard from last year if we could achieve that again maybe go one better one never knows our our season ticket sales yeah going. good mate yeah i think i think we're above last year so uh, but we still need we still need extra don't we you know to compete and if you look at the future with img involved now etc we, we've got to right raise the bar as a club and we all know that so that'll be something we're all looking to do over the next few years or whatever it takes obviously I, amg visions don't they about what what rugby league you know is and obviously we're hoping we're going to be involved in that yeah uh, but obviously on the field we've taken all the boxes with with semi-final appearances and and uh, playoff spots and then off the field we've got the community stuff going as well so surely we're a shoe in here <laughs> exciting times isn't it really when you think about it from where we've come from in a way no disrespect to previous or whatever uh, we've come a long way there's still a long way to go because IMG are raising that bar and it's great to see I think and it's probably what the game well it's not probably it is what the game has needed or has, has done for a long time in my eyes so it'll be exciting to see what they come up with we've not got the criteria yet for who's you know going to be A, B, C's whatever it is so we'll we'll take that I know I'm confident with a group of people in the club now we can we can look at that and we can sort of like strategise on what we're going to do uh, and yeah the, the on-field stuff's good but you do need the, off, the off-field to all you know come together as well yeah obviously we're, so we're in negotiation with the stadium about getting a better deal is that the, the, the top most important negotiation you're going to be having in, in 2023 yeah it won't yeah it won't won't, won't be easy to have them discussions either, will it? Because you've still got third parties involved, and I know Paul King and the board will be, will be having them conversations to, to, to get it right for us. And 
I'm just happy we're not going to Mull Lane. Right. And I've said that from day one, I think. So it's no secret, is it? That no. I, I didn't want to go there. Uh, so is that dead in the water? I, that I, now? I, I think. I think you just never know in this game, do you? Sport, no. sport and business is a wonderful thing, and it changes overnight. But I just couldn't see our future there. That, mm. that was just me, my personal view. Uh, uh, so I'm more than happy to be staying at the Salford City Stadium. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and we'll, see, and we'll hopefully build a, a better future there. Yeah, opportunities there. Obviously, we know with with the club growing off the field, with ladies' teams, physical disability teams, learning disabilities teams, now a wheelchair team as well. We're a real community, real community club now. Yeah, it's, it's going to be something special. If everything comes together, it'll be really, really special to be a part of. Uh, and on, on the back of that, you've got the IMG and what's going to happen with the academy systems. I don't know yet, but that'll be, hopefully we can tag along with that, which mm. I'm really excited about and completing and getting a complete pathway in for our, for our youth and our, you know, our, our surrounding areas, bringing the kids in from the surrounding areas. So that's something that really excites me. That. Yeah, we've talked to Paul Rowley before about uh, the different sort of categories of players going to be available. Uh, the ones in America, the ones in Australia, the, the local ones, the Welsh ones, uh, Red Star Belgrade. <laughs> you know, we, we've got a, a vast amount of players to pick from Yeah. in the next sort of five, ten years. Yeah, I agree. But also we can't lose focus on the on the, on the youths and kids in Salford either, can we? That's no. what I'm really... I'm not over keen on that more than others, but it's been a passion of mine since I came back to, to make sure we absolutely get a, a really true pathway for, for the city uh, and surrounding areas, to be fair. Uh, and then we get the kids of Salford playing with rugby balls and coming through our systems, and that's something that we'll work on you know, until whatever. Uh, that, that bit really excites me, because I want to see uh, the youths playing rugby league and, and coming through our systems and, and making first grade. I know that's a, been a pipe dream for a while now, but I want to see it before I die. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, so what happened before then? <laughs> no pressure. No, no pressure. But it is exciting, obviously, like you said, we know with the schools and, and you know the foundation lads are getting involved in that and, and sort of growing the club and, and that's and that is what it's all about really. We're an opportunity club, whether you're you know in uh, you know, America or whether you're in Weast, you know, we'll give you that opportunity to play. Yeah, we've all we've always you know said of people that we you know will give you an opportunity we, that's, we stand by that and we will we'll, we will do I think for a long time because I think opportunities in life are, are hard to come by and when you get get given them you, you, you should grasp them and that's what we've been trying to do with our you know with our squads and players over the years but now it's developing into like you said the ladies the PDRL uh, etc and, and I'm really keen on obviously as I've said getting that sort of like academy system back in at some point depending mm. on what IMG's rules and makeup is of that I'm really keen on focusing on that in the next few years as well and do you think we'll we'll get an academy spot because like, I think when we, we tried we got turned down by the yeah, RFL we, put, we, we so? put the licence application in uh, it was a tremendous bid as well uh, but we you know it was over ambitiously told which which is fine I get that bit as well but uh, I, I don't know what they're going to come up with I mean, there's talk of various things but we'll wait and see and as I said before you know got enough good people in the club now to, to put uh, a proper case into to whatever it might be to get that academy uh, and then you can look at different club as well again I think with that and a proper pathway that pleases the head coach when we start bringing players through that that takes years I know it does but at least you've got to have that drive and ambition to get to that status you need to tell them we're an opportunity club yeah and, and give and, us an opportunity and, 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 and we did do you can imagine the bid we put in last time was all about that mm. and they said you were a little ambitious with your opportunities and, and, and what you think you're going to do but if you're not ambitious in life you might as well give up aren't you so uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what it all looks like 
the IMG stuff, but uh, I'm also becoming impatient now. <laughs> I think it needs to come out quick now. So, and I know a few people have said that in the press, but I, I, I'm one of them now. Right, let's get on with it. You're in now. Let's get let's get cracking with it all. Brilliant. Cheers. Talk to us, Ian, and uh, good luck. Cheers. So we're joined by Ellis Longstaff. Uh, welcome to Salford. How do you feel? Um, yeah, mate. Um, buzzing to be here. Um, been really good so far, so can't wait to get started with the season. What excites you most about the move to Salford? Um, just the potential of the team, really. After obviously seeing what they did last year, we're uh, really looking forward to uh, kick on in 2023 and hopefully bring some silverware back. Describe yourself as a player for our listeners. Um, I'd say I'm young, exciting, and just uh, hard work, hard work, yeah, and uh, work ethic. Yeah, so that's me as a player. How's the uh, pre-season gone for you? Yeah, it's been really good. Um, being different, obviously, getting to know the boys and getting to know the coaches and building combinations, but um, really enjoyed it so far. So, uh, but can't wait. Like I said, can't wait for the season to start. Obviously, we were very successful last season, reaching the, the semi-final. Uh, you're here now, hoping that we'll we'll go one step further. Yeah, 100%. Um, seeing the potential of the group and what the players can do, and hopefully uh, the players that they've brought in, we can uh, add some impact to this team and take it one step further. Obviously, how does Solf compare to the other clubs you've been to? Um, yeah, it's different. Um, the philosophy, how the play is uh, completely different. I really like it. I think it suits my game more. Um, so, obviously, I'm really looking forward to uh, starting and and uh, see where it can go. What position are you looking at playing? Um, back row, but I'm easier. I don't mind playing in the centres. I'm pretty versatile, so wherever I end up, I'm not too bothered. As long as I'm in the team, it, it, it's really irrelevant to me, to be honest. A lot of competition in this, in this squad. Is that, is that part of your game? What, to come test yourself? Yeah, 100% there is a lot of competition, but it's health competition. We're always pushing each other for places and pushing each other in training, which I think is really good. And it's only going to make me a better player as I'm only young, so competing with some older senior lads is, is a good thing for me and a good thing for them too. It's like, obviously great that there is experienced lads in here, like Adam Sidlow, and the players that have got experience that you can learn off. Yeah, 100%. Sidders is great and obviously there's quite a few of them that are older, older and experienced and they've really helped me in uh, pre-season and just learning a bit off them is uh, really good so hopefully they can uh, hopefully they'll be uh, crucial in my development what's your what's your rugby league background obviously where you know you amateur days and all that um i started off at kipax when i was about a 10 11 year old um i used to play football before that and then i uh, joined wigan on scholarship and then went to Warrington Foot Academy and then been at Warrington and then obviously went on loan to Hull uh, back end of last year and then loan this year to Salford. So that's uh, that's my rugby league story. So much. it's not an opportunity. club really giving you opportunity to come play Super League and hopefully test yourself against the, the best. Yeah, 100%. It's uh, roles is giving me the opportunity to come here and I'm, I'm going to grab it with both hands. I'm really looking forward to it. So um, thank him and the coach staff for getting me in, obviously, for this year. What do you make of Paul Rowley and his, his ways so far? He's a, he's a brilliant coach. He's a, his philosophy, I've never had a coach that likes to play the way he does and it really suits my game and how I like to play. So I'm just picking his brains as much as I can. I know he, he, loves, he loves the game, so it's really helping me. Yeah, we like to call it Rowley Ball on, on, on podcast. He's allowed to throw the ball about, it's expansive, and that's the kind of you know game you like to play. Yeah, 100% fast uh, fast book speed, fast leg speed, and going on the edge of his, edge of them and attacking quickly. So, uh, yeah, I think it'll uh, suit my game. Brilliant. Cheers for joining us, Ellis. Cheers, mate. Thank you. So that was Gavin Benyon, Ellis Longstaff, and Ian Blees talking to us. Um, Paul, and obviously, you know, Gavin Benyon, you know, wanted to talk about the championship and, and how Sutton Lions prepared for it and how excited they are to the challenges to come. 
Yeah, yeah, he's a really good lad, Gavin Bennion. Got a lot of time for him. I enjoyed his time when he played at Salford. And uh, I never thought he got a, um, a real fair chance at Salford. I was disappointed when he left. But no, he's been a real stalwart, you know, down the leagues in the Championship for Rochdale. And it's now back at Swinton again. So, uh, so yeah, I'm sure he'll be revving to go. I thought he, he impressed me again today. He's, you know, he's got a real good work rate in the pack as, as Gavin, you know, looks after himself as well. He's uh, he's always in terrific shape. So, so yeah, it's going to be a tough season for Swinton. There's no doubt about that, you know. Um, Looking today, they've not got a massive squad of players, have they? And uh, you know it's difficult. You know in that championship, there's some big sides in there with a lot of money to spend. So inevitably, the bookmakers have made them, you know, one of the favourites to to finish lower down the table. And you know it's going to be tough for them. But you know they had to beat it at Haywood Road. They've got Newcastle down there next weekend. That's a game. You know, that hopefully they can all get behind them down there, the Swinton Lions supporters, and then get off to a good start. You know, get off to a win, and uh, it boosts the confidence. So I'm sure they'll be ready to go next weekend, Swinton. Yeah, Ellis Longscaff um, scored a try, impressed on his uh, debut at Salford, playing in the, in the second row. Uh, he's got pace, he's got power, could be a potential star for Salford at Devils in 2023. I was very impressed with him, Rob. He doesn't really look like a rugby league player, he looks more like a footballer, there's nothing of him. But, you know, he really impressed me, he put himself about, you know, he's very physical in the tackle, um, he's got a nice pair of feet, nice pair of hands as well. Um, he looks a real, real useful player, and I find it hard to believe how, how Warrington have let him go out alone. Because he, he's slotting to most most first teams in the Super League for me. Very, very talented player. And I think with, with uh, Warrington, they did this similar sort of thing with Harvey Levette, didn't they? Found him out on loan and, and he's moved on now. So that could happen to, to Ellis. But glad he's at Salford. I thought he was excellent today. And uh, looking forward to seeing him play again, hopefully against Wigan next week in what will be a, a bigger test. Um, and I, I think he'll do a good job for us. I mean, we looked quite handy in the forwards really particularly nice to see James Greenwood back you know I think it's his fourth season at Salford now and you could probably count on one hand or two hands how many games he's played he's, he's suffered some horrendous injuries and been so unlucky with injuries so uh, no he, he's a quality forward him and, and I really really hope he, he gets a good run this season and uh, you know stays away from injuries because he deserves to have a good run in the first team yeah, and Ian Blees was, was talking about the, the club off the field and the off-season and season ticket um, sales being up and, you know, hopefully the security of the AJ Bell um, helping to grow the club in the future. Yeah, the season ticket sales should be up. When you look at some of the rugby league we played last season, particularly on that back end of the season, I think there was sort of three home games, Huddersfield, Catalans and St. Helens, where we were absolutely unplayable, you know, battering the, the best sides in the league. And then Huddersfield away, obviously, in the playoffs, great result. And, you know, we played some fantastic stuff. So not only that, we, we was winning matches as well and, and doing really well. So you'll be entertained if you go down to the, the Salford City Stadium. You, there's no doubt about that. You're going to see some great rugby. And um, let's hope people get behind it because, you know, with, with that little bit of extra revenue, you know, there might be other players they can bring in and it just keeps the club going and uh, secures the future of the club. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to this season. You know, looking at the other sides, you know, the runners and riders, it's going to be tough. We know that, you know, Lee, who we play first game, have, have got a massive squad of players, haven't they? And, and really spent big. So that's going to be a tough test for us. But I was thinking to myself today, it's all right having all these players in a big squad. You need to be able to play as a team. And, and that's one thing Salford did last season so uh, you know, it's difficult to get that balance if you remember the, the early Q cash years when we brought Hock and Chase and Tim Smith and a lot of these other big names in they didn't all gel together and I think Paul Rowley's managed to gel this team together we kept the spine of the team and it's going to be exciting I think you know a good start we've got two tough games early doors Lee and Hulkinson Rovers but they're winnable matches we can get off to a good start you know who knows what can happen 
Yeah. Uh, in other news, Joe Coop Franklin and Billy Walkerley have been added to the first team squad after impressing in the reserves last season. It's great that these two lads have the opportunity. So for our fast becoming the opportunity club for players to come and show what they've got. Yeah, and hopefully the opportunity club for players to come and stay at the club. You know, it's sort of in the past when certainly in our time watching Salford in the years we grew up watching them, we were we give players opportunities and then players tended to move on, didn't they, and, and further their career with other clubs. So let's hope we're the opportunity club that gives players opportunities and they take it and then progress and flourish at Salford and, and win trophies with Salford because that's what we're all we're all aiming for, aren't we? So but this is this is great. I mean it's great to see players coming through the system and working hard in the reserves and full credit to the you know, Stuart Wilkinson and Danny Barton there in the reserve set up and the rest of the people who do it. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who, who work hard there, you know, voluntary basis, a lot of them as well. And uh, they brought these players through and nurtured them. And it's great seeing getting a chance now. And, um, you know, I'm sure Paul Rowley and Kurt Agatha, you know, their guidance as well, they'll, uh, they'll, they'll watch them this season develop. Yeah, final question. Swinton are at home to Newcastle in their first league game of the season. Salford travelled to Wigan in a friendly opportunity for both uh, teams uh, to, you know, make an impression. Yeah, we, of course. Yeah, I mean, Swinton is a massive game. You know, first game of the season back up in the Championship. Newcastle are a tough side, though. A side that's improved over the last uh, the last few years. I mean, you know, it wasn't that long ago that they were like the real rubbing rags, weren't they? You know, always down the bottom and, and really struggling. But they've been getting good crowds uh, up there and, and really building a club. And, and they're no longer that. They're they're no longer make wakes. They they've got some good players in that 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 side, and they're going to be tough to beat. They've got a lot of ambition there as well. So that'll be a difficult game for Swinton. But you know, Alan Coleman and Swinton have got a target matches at home, haven't they? We know it's going to be tough. You know, going to lots of Featherstone and Toulouse. You know, the budgets and and they've got. I mean, Featherstone to lose are probably Super League teams in the waiting, in sort of in the waiting, really, aren't they? In the waiting room to go into Super League. I mean, they might not get the opportunity, but they've got Super League budgets, really, haven't they? And decent crowds and plenty of money behind them. So it's going to be difficult for the Swinton to compete with, with those, especially away from home. But you know, games at home is, is what they've got to target. That's their bread and butter for next season. As for Salford, you know, it's another progression. You've moved on from Swinton, you're going away from home against Wigan, and, and Wigan will probably put a good side out. So that'll be a good test, you know, a benchmark to see where we're at really then we've got a week off the week after and then you go straight into the game against uh, against Leah the week after which will be the, like the Lions Den going to Leah I know they've got um, all sorts of music going on haven't they and um, all sorts of fireworks will be going on that night so that's going to be tough so going to Wigan with perfect preparation for that Yep so that's all the rugby chat and now we're talking boxing with James and Paul We most certainly are and there's only one place to start Art of Aterbiev versus Anthony Yard, one of the greatest fights I've seen in a long, long time. Most people thought Yard was going to be overmatched by the Russian, but with incredible punching power, he always had a chance. But if I was to tell you at the beginning of the fight that both Yard and Baturbiev would find the target with ease, there's no chance you would have thought this was going eight rounds, would you? Not at all, uh, James. I thought I think we thought it was going to be a, a shoot. I don't think it was a fight that was ever going to be won on points by either fighter. To be honest, if you're looking at the bookmakers, it sort of suggested that, didn't it? So, uh, so yeah, we we knew it was going to be a fire fight, and I think you've got to give Anthony Yard all the credit in in the world. Really, I mean, he's fighting one of the most dangerous boxers on the planet, um, and he gave his all really and, and troubled him, you know, particularly in rounds. I think it was four and five. He, he, he troubled him. But uh, Baturbiev is he's, he's he's a different gravy, really, isn't he? He's such a tough man, and you know, looking at the fight there, I think Anthony Yard's sort of team 
had to do what they did really because he was getting badly beaten, badly hurt in there. Not badly beaten, he, he was holding his own at times, but taking a lot of punishment there in the, in the latter rounds. And uh, yeah, it was unlucky for him. It was, it's one of those things. Sometimes you've got to hold your hands up. At, you know, you're beaten by the stronger and better fighter. But a terrific fight to watch. We both know for a fact that Artur Baturbiev and Anthony Yard are pound for pound two of the hardest punches in the sport. How surprised were you that their powers seemingly were bouncing off each other and neither man, at least until the eighth round, went down? I think that just shows you what great condition both fighters were in. I think they both had terrific camps, um, got themselves into the best condition of the of the careers. And, you know, to, to put yourself through that pain, the, the pain that they must have been taking there from some of them shots, I mean... They would have knocked an arse out. Some of them punches, they really would have done. So um, I think you've got to give them all the credit in the world. It was a terrific fight. It really was. And they're the sort of fights that, that boxing you know, purists want to see. You know, you've got about heavyweight boxing and things like that. These, these are the fights. Two men going toe-to-toe and absolutely throwing leather at each other, round after round, and taking punches like that. I mean, you can only go so far, can't you? That's why it was never going to go the 12 rounds, because one, one man was going to crack eventually and... Um, you know, unlucky for Yard, really. His body just couldn't take any more. I mean, the bravery of the man, well, both men, but the bravery of Yard there to keep going, I thought, was absolutely outstanding. And you would have had to carry him out on a stretcher because he wasn't going to give up, was he? It was, it was one of those. But no, a, ter- a terrific fight. And I mean, I know we're only in January, but you're probably looking at a fight of the year contender there. You most certainly are. And Yard... He didn't want to be pulled out, but he'd been hurt and Tundi Ajayi made the decision that he felt was best for his fighter. And I feel almost sorry for him because he's not had normal world title fights. He's had to go up against two of the greatest of this era in terms of Kovalev and then Baturbiev. I still feel like he's got it in him to win a world title. He's just been very unlucky with who those shots have come up against. Yeah, yes, And you tend to find that in boxing, James. No disrespect to some, some people who won world titles, but... Some boxers will win world titles and others won't. And you'll think, God, he, he deserved one. He, he never ducked anybody. Or, I'm not saying other fighters have, but some fighters have gone down different paths and sort of got world titles when you think, well, he should have got one as well because he's just as good as him sort of thing. So I'm sure Anthony Yard will be back. Like you said, he's fought two. two the two fighters you just mentioned there, Kovalev and, and Baturbiev, I think they're two of the most feared boxers on the planet particularly in the, the weight division they're in. You mentioned their names and sort of boxers will shudder a bit, won't they really? Because they know, it's a bit like Usyk in the heavyweights, you know how good they are and their mentality as well. Um, they, they never give in and, and they're absolute warriors, aren't they? Absolute machines. So, yeah, he's, he's, he's not done himself any sort of disservice. As for his corner, man, and the, and the towel going in, I don't think... He, You've got to protect your fighter, and I think they could see him getting badly hurt. Then it must be it must be awful, you know, to to see your fighter like that. You don't know what, what to do the right thing, but I think that was definitely the right decision to do that. Um, and he lives to fight another day. There's no doubt about that. He's a very very talented man. He's out in the yard, and I'm sure he'll get another world title shot. And, it, and it, I've got every confidence that he'll win one. Seemingly, if we're taking anything from what happened at ringside into account. They're lining him up for a British fight with uh, Josh Buatzi. Is that one you'd make him the favourite in? a good fighter and he's another heavy puncher as well. So I think you're looking at another another cracking fight. I, I'd say, you know, yeah, I'd probably just, in my opinion, I'd probably just edge it for me. If I was a betting man, I'd, I'd go with Yard. But it's, it's another... Um, it's another good fight, another tremendous fight. And uh, yeah, one that I'd, I'd love to see. 
Post-fight, uh, Steve Bunce was talking about Artur Baturbiev and where he ranks amongst the all-time great light heavyweights. I mean, as an amateur, a world champion, beat Alexander Usyk, beat Sergey Kovalev twice. He's got a 19-0 uh, record as a pro with 19 knockouts, the only champion in boxing with a 100% KO ratio. So when we look at him, especially with his three belts now, against all the other greats of the light heavyweight eras, the, the likes of Sergey Kovalev, the likes of Andre Ward, the likes of Roy Jones Jr. Where does Baturbiev stack up? Oh, I think he's right up there. I think he's right up there now. I mean, he's obviously not had as many fights as some of those names that you've mentioned there. But, you know, um, his record speaks for itself, doesn't it? 100% knockout rate. And, you know, he's fought some good fighters in that, that that as well. And like I said before, you've only got to mention his name and he probably strikes fear into his opponents. I mean, a lot of people wouldn't want to fight him. Um, he probably finds it difficult to get fights because he's, he's that feared, really, isn't he? He's a real tough, tough man and a, and a tremendous puncher. The, the power he possesses, at the weight, um, you know, pound for pound, he's probably the toughest and hardest puncher in the world. So, um, so yeah, I think he ranks right up there with those names that you mentioned. And, um, no, he's, he won't be starstruck being amongst those names. And now going forward, there's two options for him, really. And we'll have a look at the first one, the one that everybody wants to see. And it's the undisputed championship of the world against Dimitri Bivol. Off the back of last night, yes, Baturbiev showed some vulnerability, but he also showed that his power is as heavy as ever. And can Bivol handle that? Mm, now you're talking. I knew you were going to say this fight. I mean, Bivol has got a lot of power himself, hasn't he? Um, and I think if those two is to get it on, you probably have the same ingredients for what he had last night, a firefight, a real firefight. And uh, I, th I think if whoever landed... Landed clean first, really. He'd win that fight. It, there's no way that good a distance. Again, it'd be another, another knockout one, definitely. And you look at uh, Baturbiev's record, you know, 100% KO. You won back against him, would you? So, uh, so that 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 fight would be huge if that could be made this this year. Now, hopefully, this summer, um, he's probably going to have a few months out now, isn't he? You know, um, recharge his batteries and that. But that'd be a magnificent fight for the summer. And yeah, you'd have to you'd have to go with Baturbiev, really. I think he'd be favourite. And the other matchup, and Eddie Hearn is pushing for this because he's the WBC mandatory challenger, is Callum Smith, somebody who was well beat by Canelo but has looked rejuvenated at light heavyweight. Would you give him any chance? Callum Smith, yeah. I, I, Callum Smith's a good boxer, been a tremendous boxer. Um, you know, he's a tall lad, he's very powerful. Um, he's a terrific body puncher as well. You know, a lot of his. Uh, a lot of his success in his fights have come from attacking the body and, and taking his opponents down that way. Um, yeah, I won't write Callum Smith off. You know, the family he comes from as well. We saw Liam Smith, you know, last weekend. You know, the respect that family have got and the work they put into the sport. Uh, I don't think you have a, a back off Callum Smith. And I think Callum d deserves another shot, to be honest with you. I mean, he's he's sort of knocking on a bit now, isn't he, in, in terms of boxing ages. So he's probably got, you know, a few more big fights in him. And, and I'd like to see that. I like Callum. I've got a lot of time for him. Um, yeah, I think it'd be a good fight, that. And before the main event, we had Jake Paul and Tommy Fury in the ring together. Their fight is official for Saudi Arabia in four weeks' time. And while it's a matchup between what, in essence, is a YouTuber versus a reality TV star, unlike a lot of these celebrity matches, it does appear to have crossed over to a certain extent. Yeah, well... I think we mentioned this a few years ago, didn't we? When, when we was at the, the uh, Liam Smith fight, me and you had a good chat, didn't we, about boxing and sort of put the boxing world to rights that night, didn't we? And we, we were mentioning about 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 Jake Paul and I think 
you know, from where I'm sat now, I think he's I think he's earned a bit of respect. You know, he's not just come in and sort of said, I'm this, that and the other. And, you know, I want to be on this bill. I want to be on that. He can actually fight. So I think you've got to take him seriously. And I was a brave lad. Um, he, he's done the business in fights. He's entertained. So this is a big test for him now against Fury. So if he if he's to beat Fury, then perhaps we start taking him a bit, a bit more serious. I mean, his journey is going to be exciting. There's no doubt about that. But, um, yeah, I think he deserves a bit of respect and th- this should be a good matchup. I mean, it should be a, a tremendous uh, tremendous event anyway and a uh, big crowd there watching it as well. And uh, I'm sure they'll put on a, ma- a magnificent show and I'm looking forward to seeing the outcome of it. And now looking at that undercard, Artem Delacain defended his world title and then uh, Moses Atuma, Frank Warren's new heavyweight. He wants him to be the youngest champion in the history of the division, breaking Mike Tyson's record. He's 18 at the moment, so he's got three years to do it. He made his pro debut, winning inside of 30 seconds. An impressive performance, especially considering the fact that his brother had suffered an upset defeat earlier on in the night. Yeah, it is. I mean, sometimes that can take the shine off things, can't take your concentration off. So, um, so yeah, he's, he's you know, for such a young man there, he stayed focused. Uh, put that disappointment to one side and, and done the business, you know, in, in double quick time. So, so yeah, 18, he, what's he got? Three years to, to sort of uh, get up there, Mike Tyson. And, you know, three years is a long time in boxing. If you're fighting sort of three times a year, three or four times a year, he, he can get that grounding under his belt. Now, I mean, to, to, that, that's good going to get to a world title by the time you're 21. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm sure he'll be guided very well by by Eddie Hearn. You know, Eddie knows the sport, doesn't he? You know, he's been in it a long time. And I'm sure he'll get the right matchups for him. And, uh, you know, if he can, it's about picking up that experience, isn't it? You know, to win a world title, you've got to have a bit of experience. I mean, you're not just going to go and knock everybody out. You've got to learn how, to, how the business works and how a particular fighters work. Not every fighter's the same. So you've got to do your homework as well, haven't you? So it'll uh, be interesting to see how his journey, though. You mentioned a minute ago that Eubank Smith fight that we were both at. Liam Smith winning pretty comfortably. And I've got to give you your credit, Paul. I said Eubank was going to win this one and you you called it right with Liam Smith. But Eubank is complaining about the stoppage. He's put in a complaint with the British Boxing Board of Control claiming that Liam Smith landed an elbow. Now, three questions, I suppose, come from this. One, does Eubank have any right to complain? And secondly, is this a genuine complaint or is he trying to just add fuel to the fire of a rematch? Um, I think it's a bit of a daft thing to do, to be honest with you. I think Liam Smith won that fight for me fair and square. I mean, if you you actually watch the um, his legs go, don't they, from that uppercut, and I think the referee could have stopped it there, but he gave Eubank the benefit of the doubt. If you watch his legs there on the replay, he's got no control over his legs whatsoever. He's like Bambi on ice. I mean, and that that's that's when a fighter's faculties are completely gone. You want to whack around the head there, on the chin, and you don't know where you are. Your, your brain doesn't know where your legs are. So for him to carry on there, I think the referee gave him the benefit of the doubt there. And there was only one way he was going to go then. Liam Smith was going to, he's got that the count and he's going to, he's going to go in and finish him. And he did. And I think you've got to give Liam an awful lot of credit. He, 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 uh, he got his tactics bob on. I think the, the first couple of rounds, Eubank, you know, looked, looked good and he was troubling Smith. But with Smith, he's, he's a, you know, he's a, he's a wily old pro. He's very, very compact. He's hard to, to hit. He, he's got a nice high guard and he's tough. He's like a, it's like fighting a cube. He, you know, he gets in front of you and he, he was marching him around the ring there and he was on the back foot for me, Eubank on the outside of the ring. You're very low guard, trying to fight a bit like Roy Jones Jr. But, you know, no disrespect to Eubank. I don't think he's anywhere near as good as what Roy, Roy Jones Jr. was. So, you no, know, let's have it right. I mean, Chris Eubank's a very, very good fighter. Um, 
and he can come out with some controversial stuff sometimes, and I think that's what makes him the, the boxer he is. But I think to to say, you know, you know, to sort of badmouth Liam, I think it's pretty poor, really. But I don't think there's any love lost between the two of them. And um, I think, yeah, it'll fuel the fire for a rematch. And I think a rematch would be tremendous. I mean, we spoke about it, didn't we, on Saturday night. A few people mentioned it about the fight being at Anfield. I think that'd be a tremendous night. You could have some real good fighters on the undercard for that. And I think it'd sell out within within minutes. I think it'd be a, a great night. Be a fantastic night. I mean, how many promoters have tried to Anfield over the years? And it's not quite worked out. Now it seems like Ben Shalom, at boxer, has a massive opportunity to do that. But he's had a difficult week. Uh, Billy Joe Saunders is controversial ever. He's released a voice uh, exchange with Ben Shalom in which the young promoter criticises Sky Sports, claiming that they've messed him about. And he also offers Billy Joe £100,000 on the off chance that he can't sign a deal or get a fight over the line. Seems an interesting way to go, Billy Joe, to release a private conversation. Yeah, it does. Uh, Billy Joe has been like one of the forgotten men of British British boxing, really, hasn't it? We've not heard from much from him for a while. We know he's a very, very talented man, but no, it does seem does seem strange the way uh, the way that's been announced. I mean, Ben Shalom, you know, has come into the sport, hasn't he, and sort of filled in the void left by by Eddie Hearn, really, at Sky. And I think give him his credit. I mean, he's he's put some good nights on up to now. I mean, he's had a bit of a bit of bad press over some of the nights and some of the the, the fights that have been put on. Um, I was pretty impressed with it with the night though at. Uh, at the Manchester Arena we went to last week, I thought it was a tremendous atmosphere, and you know that place was absolutely rocking. Was it when Liam Smith and Chris Eubank come out? I think you know credit to me put on a really good line. He most certainly did. That arena was rocking, and then after the stoppage, Connor Ben got onto social media, was releasing videos of him and his dad laughing at Eubank, claiming he'd have done it in two rounds. Is that a bit of a tone deaf response from Ben, considering he has failed two drug tests? Do you know what, James? I, I saw that and I liked Conor Ben. I say liked as in I'm not so sure now. I had a lot of time for him. I thought he was coming up the right way. He was knocking people out. He looked really, really good, looked in really good shape. And then you see stuff like that. You know, he fails a drug test and then he's on there and it just left a bad taste in my mouth. I think sometimes you can, you can have a bit more class than that. Um, you know, social media can be a great thing and then it can be a really poor thing as well, you know, to portray yourself. I mean, have a bit of class about yourself. It's nothing to do with you. You were in that fight and, you know, you've not fought Chris Eubank because you failed the drugs test. So, you know, once you've passed your drugs test and, and you've got your fight lined up, go and win it. Don't be going taking the mick out of someone else who, who's just lost. I mean, let's have it right. Chris Eubank Jr. often plays the uh, sort of pantomime villain, but you've got to give him all the credit in the world. I mean, he went to to, uh, to Cardiff, didn't he, and fought in uh, Liam Williams' backyard and got the win. And then he come into the Lions' den at the, the Manchester Arena with the, the vast majority of the crowd behind Liam Smith. And I thought he was very, very humble after the fight as well, Chris Eubank Jr. I mean, I would just sort of slagged him off of what he said you know, recently. But I thought after the fight, he was great. He, he uh, sort of uh, congratulated Smith. But I don't really get where uh, Conor Ben's coming from. It, it just didn't sit well with me, that, that video he did with his dad. No, I don't think it sat well with a lot of people. And the fans were frustrated. And they were also a bit upset about the confrontation between Josh Taylor and Jack Cattrall at ringside because it really sold us the fight. But as it turns out, the Tartan Tornado has injured his foot and he won't even be able to walk for another 12 weeks. So this rematch that has taken over a year to put together has just been pushed back even further. Yeah, I, I didn't like that. I, I saw that as well. And, you know, Taylor said... T- I don't know me, this is my sort of opinion, but Taylor's got a real danger of losing this fight before he's even had it. 
because he seems like he Catrell's got really under his skin on that exchange. Catrell seemed really calm, didn't really say out. It was Taylor who was losing his rag, and you could wind up going into that fight, you know, mentally drained before you even started because you know you're getting wound up with somebody before you even got in the ring with him. So, yeah, I, I'm I know things like that sell fights, but. They don't always sit well with me that, you know, where it's all bitter and arguing and things like that. I don't know. I know I know Sky do this, gloves are off and things like that. But <laughs> I, I like to see him in the ring uh, doing it rather than talking about it. But that should be a great fight, that, James. I mean, the first one was. But when is it going to happen, though, now? Will it happen? You know, will something get in the way of it? An injury like this is a big setback. It most certainly is. And now we're going into February. Not the biggest month for boxing. But on the 25th, for the first time in history... Floyd Mayweather will fight in the UK. He was scheduled to take on Leon Harrison, a former eight-time World Muay Thai champion. He's unfortunately sustained a knee injury. So in steps Aaron Chalmers, an MMA fighter and a 1-0 boxer who has experience on reality TV in doing a few seasons of Geordie Shaw. Now, how do we think this sells, Paul? Because we've got Floyd for the first time ever fighting in the UK. I mean, that might draw some fans in, but... It does feel like these exhibitions that he's doing, they're getting a little bit tiresome. So how many fans do you think will pack into that arena? Uh, well, his opponent doesn't really sell it very well, does he? I mean, he's won an old record. He's been in Geordie Shore. I mean, blimey, he could have picked a better opponent. They could have fought me uh, rather than that. So, yeah, I mean, you think about Floyd Mayweather, he's, he's a boxing immortal, really, isn't he? Um, so you want to remember him for the, the great fights he's been in. So, I mean, if you're going to come over here and fight someone... No, no disrespect to this lad, but it doesn't really, it doesn't really sell it for me. I suppose it's like the Brazil football team coming over here and playing Accrington Stanley or something. It, it doesn't really, uh, doesn't really whet the appetite, does it? So we'll have to see how that one pans out. But I don't think it'll be one that I'll be tuning into. And off the back of that, Paul, I think we'll get Rob on the sports on social media to try and push a contest between you and Floyd Mayweather. We're <laughs> 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 getting on to the, uh, the last question of the day for you, Paul. Terence Crawford is looking ever closer to signing with Golden Boy Promotions. And if he does that deal, it really would put the final nail in the coffin of an Errol Spence fight. Yeah, it would do, yeah. And it'd be a shame, wouldn't it? Because I think it's a fight we've spoke about on many occasions on the sports zone, haven't we? And how we'd like to see that. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's sad sometimes, isn't it? We talk about the politics of boxing and how they go down different roads and with different promoters. And it, uh, it always seems to uh, stand in the way sometimes of, of super fights, doesn't it? It always seems to be like these real big super fights that, that don't happen. So, you know, it'll be uh, it'll be disappointing if that that fight doesn't happen because I think it's one that the the world would like to see. I think the world would like to see it, Paul. But for now, I'm going to wish you good luck on your training camp for Mayweather. And uh, <laughs> me and uh, Rob are going to start talking football and Manchester United. Rob, three 0 win over Nottingham Forest. Yes, they've got to play another leg, but looking almost guaranteed to be in that final, most likely against Newcastle and silverware for the first time in a long time. It's just within touching distance. Yeah, Eric Ten Hag seems to have the, the magic when it comes to cup competitions. Uh, James, two good wins uh, this week and uh, he wants to build a team that is successful and knows how to win and that's a, a good habit to get and I think playing in cup competitions and winning uh, rounds in cup competitions is a step forward in that direction. I thought they were very good in both games. I thought they showed composure. I think they showed what 
being what Manchester United is all about in a cup competition. So we're very impressed and we're hoping they can continue in that good form uh, and keep going for them their cup wins. At this stage, Rob, after such a long drought, a League Cup, for example, 10 years ago, might not have went that much to a Manchester United fan in the Sir Alex Ferguson era. Winning it now, what would it mean? I think it means the world, James, because obviously, like you said, it's been a while um, since we've actually, you know, won a won a trophy. And if we want to be a successful club and competing on all fronts, you need to start winning trophies. Jose Mourinho, Pep Guardiola, winning League Cups and winning FA Cups are what the clubs are built on, the successful clubs. Obviously, we want to challenge for Premiership titles. We want to challenge for European Cups. But we have to start somewhere. And if winning a League Cup is a first step to success, then that's the, the step we need to take, James. Most certainly. And it was great to see Vekos get on the scoreboard. Indeed. Indeed. And obviously, you know, people have doubted his, his ability. Um, but he is there for his strengths, which is holding the ball up and linking play. If he gets on the score sheet, it's a bonus. Obviously, to get off the mark is a, is a positive for him because obviously the longer he didn't score for, the more questions would be put against him. But now he's off the uh, off the zero uh, and he's obviously going to continue to to threaten defences and score goals. And, that, and do, you, do you agree with that, James? Do you think it's important that, that he did get off the mark uh, this weekend? 100% because people have doubted him. And that will have damaged his confidence. So mm. he would have needed a goal just to get under the way, just to relax those nerves. And now, hopefully, he can start doing a real job for Manchester United. Yeah, and that's the important thing. Obviously, you know, he's not a, a big name. You know, people of the world of football did not stand up and, and turn their heads when he signed for Manchester United. But Manchester United need that kind of player for the system to work. I've talked about this for years, that we never had a centre-forward who is willing to link the play and hold the ball up. And now we do. So we're hoping, obviously, he can continue his good form. United can play to his strengths and then the whole team can move forward as one. I think he's been a great signing so far for Manchester United. And I'm sure there'll be plenty more to come. Obviously, you know, in the race for you know th at least three trophies in in twenty uh, twenty three, he's going to play his part as well as everyone else in that squad. He most certainly will. And with us playing Nottingham Forest again, a game that in all likelihood won't matter that much, it'll be another good opportunity to get him out. Indeed, and, that, and obviously being three 0 up, uh, the game really should be done. But the question is, does Hentag? give opportunity for other players in that squad who haven't particularly featured uh, in the first team or in the Premier League so far. Does Ten Hag play these players or does Ten Hag continue to play a strong team to keep the momentum going, James? What do you think? I think he'll go middle of the road. Nottingham mm. Forest is a good opportunity. Having won the first game 3-0, it's a good opportunity to get some of the younger lads out, to give Weghorst a chance and give the players a rest ahead of the big game against Crystal Palace at the weekend. And while we're still talking about the FA Cup in some capacity, Manchester City getting a win over Arsenal, and how integral is that in terms of the momentum this season? It's a good question, James, because obviously Arsenal are runaway leaders of the Premier League. Lots of people in the media talking about Man City's, you know, guaranteed to win the Premier League. Everyone's banking on Arsenal to, to, to drop off as the uh, as the months come on, but they've got a five point gap. Man City have to play them a couple of times in the league, so. You, it's all in the air for me, but we're relying on Man City to win every game from now 
till the end of the season in May. And that's going to be a tough task for any team, really. But yeah, it's going to be a difficult task. I know, obviously, Arteta has found a way to play. He was under lots of pressure, um, you know, last season, a couple of seasons ago. People were, you know, calling for his head, but it seems to have turned it round now. And does his team have the mentality to see the job through? And that's going to be a big test for him, his players as well. Obviously, with Man City, you know, breathing down the neck, they are experienced in this this game that that they're playing, you know, chasing the title. Uh, so we'll have to see what happens uh, come May. We will. And while Arsenal will have some tough months ahead, Manchester City have a tough game coming up against Tottenham Hotspur, who've just come off an absolutely monumental upset victory mm. against Preston North End. Yeah, I know. How, that, how do you feel about that, James? Uh, I was there, Rob. Uh, it was an interesting first half. Preston were essentially forced to play root run football. There wasn't there wasn't particularly many chances. The goalkeeper was forced to work out of his skin because Tottenham were putting together a string of good efforts. Eventually, Son, the magician that he is, broke the deadlock, then scored again, and ultimately Tottenham found a third. And it was a pretty comfortable victory for Spurs, all in all. And you were left crying into your pint. Uh, most certainly was, Rob, yeah. <laughs> but was, uh, hopefully... Man City won't be crying into their pint against uh, Spurs uh, this weekend. Obviously, they played each other previously uh, a couple of about a week ago. Uh, City won four two after being two 0 down in the, in the first half. Man City fans not particularly happy about that first half performance by the Pep Guardiola's team, but they turned it round. Premier League will be a different story. You're kind of hoping that you know Man City keep this momentum going because, like I said before, Arsenal on a run they can't afford to drop any more points if they want to challenge for the title. Come they? They most certainly can't. Arsenal have got a tough run ahead, but they've got a game in hand and the five points clear. Mm. So that just gives them a bit of breathing space. Yeah, you're right, James. And and that's and that's the important thing in the Premier League. It's about keeping your momentum going and keeping your nerve. And Man City have been there. They've done it. They know what it takes to win a title. They went to the last day against Liverpool and found a way to win the title. Arsenal, obviously... Previous seasons under Arsene Wenger, under George Graham, they've known a way to win. But this team and this squad is a complete rebuild compared to what it what it was. So they need to find a way. They need to learn because you're five points clear to see games out. And even if you're going to pick them up 1-0, like the, the glory days of, of George Graham, 1-0 to the Arsenal, if they can do that, then they'll go and win the league. They might. And now looking from the top of the league to the bottom of the league in a complete juxtaposition, Everton mm. in the relegation zone and Frank Lampard has gone. Yeah, Frank Lampard gone. Uh, you know, they are in trouble. It has to be said, Everton, long-standing Premier League uh, team. There's unrest in in the in, Merge, in the Merseyside of blue. And people are wondering, is this the year that, that, that Everton go down? Frank Lampard has done his bit, but it's not enough. And his questions are coming in. Um, Sean Dyche uh, coming in. Bielsa turned the job down by by all accounts. So it, you know it's a really difficult situation. They built a stadium as well. You know in in Everton. You know they're looking to move away from Goodison Park. So Premier League football is is a massive important thing uh, for that club. Um, do they have enough to to save themselves? We'll have to wait and see. They've got some good players. I know they've lost uh, Gordon to Newcastle uh, this weekend. I know they've got Calvert Lewin who's struggling with injury so you know it's all in the air if they can string a few wins together and get off the bottom of the Premier League then they might be safe but games running out and like you said they haven't secured a, a top class manager yet so we'll see what happens they haven't and a team like Everton there's the one case that maybe going down would be good they could have a complete reset 
and bounce back. But the financial repercussions will be absolutely enormous. Mm, it would. They'd be in trouble if they go down, James. Any Premier League team, especially, obviously, Everton, who have, have got Premier League players on Premier League wages, who were mid-table mid side, they wouldn't have banked on, on a relegation. So they'd be paying players Premier League wages in the Championship, which is the only way, you know, the club, you know, only way the club goes is down in that situation from previous teams like Notts Forest, like Sheffield Wednesday, you know, giants of the footballing world who have fell down the, the, the pyramid of English football. So, crucially important that they, they find a way to get out of this mess and uh, get back up towards the top. It is, because Everton, uh, like Aston Villa, who went down a few years ago, mm. have always been a staple of the Premier League. Yeah, and that's the thing. You know, these teams, we class as mid-table sides, are getting sucked into this, uh, you know, relegation. Fodor, is that because the people at the bottom, the likes of Brighton, uh, you know, are they finding they're able to attract better qualities of players that the mid-table teams would have picked up earlier? But now, the way the Premier League is set up, everyone competes with everybody. You know, if you're Manchester United and you're thinking you can go and swoop in to Brighton, to Brighton and buy their top player for £20 million, um, Brighton might not necessarily sell because they don't need it because that's the way the Premier League is. Everyone's got money. Uh, so there's no easy way you've treated, you know, getting players out. Well, that's always been the glorious thing about this division, hasn't it? I mean, mm. if you look at some of the other divisions around Europe, you've got your La Ligas, but there's only, you know, two teams at the top, maybe three of you put like Leco Madrid in there as well. And then you've obviously you've got your, your Valencias and such. But after that, it, it's pretty thin pickings. And it's the same in Bundesliga. It's the same in Serie A. Whereas in the Premier League, I think the teams are a lot more compact. Yeah, there's five or six that can win a, a Premier League title, uh, James. And and that is why the Premier League is what it is, because everybody can beat anybody and it's really successful. And that's why people tune in over the world to watch it. They do. I mean, it's the most successful league in the world for a reason. It's the most watched world in the league for a reason. And Manchester United are the most supported team in the world mm. for a reason. But while we're on the subject of the Red Devils. I've got a story for you, Rob, and I'm not sure if you'll recall this, but I had to write an article about this the other day. Oh, yeah. So, um, I'm not sure if you remember the time where Ryan Giggs and Lee Sharp were at a house party together. I mean, you can imagine what Lee Sharp's like, a bit of a bad influence on Giggsy. <laughs> and the two of them went to a house party together and uh, Sir Alex Ferguson turned up at the door yeah. and Giggsy had to hide in a cupboard because he was yeah. that terrified of the manager. I think it was, was it maybe early 90s? Then and Alex Ferguson doing what Alex Ferguson did, making sure his young players didn't cross the line. Absolutely. I mean, how would you feel right now, Rob, if me and Paul went on a night out the day before a sports zone show? You'd be furious. I'd be I'd be tracking you down on your mobile and my my find my phone, and I'd be making sure you're drinking all water water all night because I need you to to be fully focused on the sports zone talking all things sport in Salford. I can't have you doing that with a hangover. Talking about hangovers, uh, James Salford City were defeated uh, away at Crawley three two. Obviously, still in the playoff places, but they do need to keep picking up wins. Yeah, they most certainly do. Let's not forget that Salford are only in the playoffs on goal difference. Mm. They can't afford to drop points, especially against a team like Crawley, who are 20th and aren't the greatest of sides. And granted, I know they're fighting for survival, and I know that the wins mean everything to them, but you can't afford to lose these games. So going into this Warsaw match, they need to win it. And then Rochdale, it's a local derby, so the opposition will be up for it. But again, the 24th in the table, Rochdale, you've got to do a number over a side like that. 
Mm. Indeed, James. And, and you kind of worry, you know, picking up wins in this situation because towards the, the back end of the season, everybody is up for that game, aren't they? Because either for promotion or for relegation, everyone wants to win. And, and that's what the, the challenge for Salford, to keep winning and stay in that playoff spot. Yeah, I think they can. It's just the question of whether they have the stability in the side to do that. They've not been the most consistent side throughout the season, so it's going to be a big ask for them. But if they can string a good run of form together, like they did at the end of last year, and generate that momentum, there's every chance they end up in the playoffs. Yeah, obviously with a minute to go, uh, James, obviously we're looking at the you know the fixtures to come for Salford. Have they got enough, do you think, to push for that top uh, two spot? Top two spot? Yeah. You just never know, do you, Rob? Last season, they ended furiously. Hmm. And if they can do the same again, you just never know, do you? No. And that's the the, 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 the joy of football, isn't it, James? That every team wants to win and, and you're hoping that we can do that. Absolutely, Rob. I think Salford have got it in the tank. It's just whether they can actually do it and if they can actually utilise that mentality that we know they have. Yeah, because that's the important thing with football. It's all about mentality. With 30 seconds to go, you find that whether you're Man United or Salford City, mentality is everything. It is, and that's where you look at the top of this Premier League table. You've got Arsenal, you've got City, you've got Newcastle, you've got Man United, and then you've got these two teams in Arsenal and Newcastle. Not particularly experienced at this echelons of the table. Arsenal have never been in first. Newcastle haven't been in third for a very long time. So can they see it over the line? Who knows, Rob? Well, we're, indeed, James, who knows when we'll be following it on the Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. You can listen to us every Tuesday and every Thursday, talking all things sport in Salford and beyond. Big thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat. Mm-hmm.